Noon Hour is here. Check it out. And you're locked on to Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio station. It's my station. It's my station. This is, this is, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Ninety-seven-five, the KSL Sports Zone. Where does that feeling come from, Lloyd? And Brock Purdy looks like he's twelve. Oh, I know. I know he's the youngest-looking quarterback I think the Super Bowl has ever seen. Doing an interview. It's uh, was it Media Day today for the Super Bowl? I'm not sure. It is. It was some Media Day yesterday. Yesterday evening. It is Media Day today because we are going to have Alex Whittingham. Oh, that's right. Kansas City Chiefs coach on with us at twelve thirty today. From Media Day. So, excited to catch up with Alex and see how the Kansas City Chiefs are doing with the, uh, especially as they prepare in the Las Vegas Raiders practice facility. Are you going to ask him to give you guys his best Kermit the Frog impression? As in his quarterback? Well, you saw that his quarterback was asked that, right? No. Somebody said, give us your best. No, they didn't. Kermit the Frog, or what's no, your best Kermit the Frog impression? Patrick goes, Mahomes that. It's me talking right now. Wow. Somebody asked Patrick Mahomes to give well, he them. Does, he does sound like Kermit the Frog. He does, but that's not something you. I don't know. I'm okay ask. with this. I'm okay with well, somebody asking him that. I'm okay with it too, but if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'll I'm have like, a sense of humor. So we're not going to have really? any fun whatsoever. You think Pat? You think Pat's okay with that? No, but if if anything, if it rattles him a little bit, I'm all for it. If it gets him out of his game? Yeah, for sure. Hey, look, if his dad driving drunk doesn't get him out of yeah. his game, somebody asking him to impersonate I'd Kermit. rather the Kermit the Frog than being asked about my father. <laughs> Which he did get asked. Did you hear his comments on that? He's like, somebody was like, how's your dad doing? He's like, yeah, my dad's good. He's yeah. doing okay for what what he's dealing with. And then another person followed up, and they were like, so is he going to be at the game? He's like, you know what, we're going to make we're going to keep that a family matter. I'd be like, Dad, you you did oh. this to me. You oh. did this no. to me, Dad. Oh, I, well, I think I think when he says it's a family matter, I think that's code for like I'm really hoping he doesn't show up. Yeah, because that's going to be a storyline. Because they'll shoot to a booth, and obviously you'll have the Kelseys and you'll have T Swizzle, and then you know, are you going to see Brittany? And then you're going to see the old man there yeah. too, dropping yeah. down Coronas like they're going out of style. Yeah, could you imagine that? That's not a good look. Yeah, really bad look. <laughs> Is he can imagine it's going to be a Dr. Pepper in his Yeah, His dad's down there wandering I mean, around the, the podium like he's like Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart <laughs> well, after the like, Eagles win. Well, it's one thing when Jason Kelsey rips his shirt off and goes in the stands. When the old man does it, that's going, that's to, be going to be a problem. Yeah, that's going to be awkward when he starts lifting kids up to say hi to Taylor <laughs> Swift. That's going to be really awkward. Oh, boy. I, I, 
I, I even hate to laugh about it. I know, I do too. Because it is it's, a it's disturbing a... and a disgusting story yeah. that Patrick Mahomes is having to do. It really is. And and I feel, okay, I don't feel bad for Patrick Mahomes, but I do feel it's it's unfortunate. That guy that has tried to do everything the right way, at least as far as we know, and has never been in the media for anything bad or anything inappropriate. Even the way he dealt with his dad's situation today. Yeah. It's just awesome. Uh, we will not be asking Alex Whittingham about Patrick Mahomes' father. So, Can you sing Rainbow Connection for us, Alex? <laughs> We're not going to be asking him his favorite so Taylor to, Swift song. You're to come into the 1230 se- segment with Rainbow Connection. Yeah, no. No, we're, we don't need to do that. Hey, by the way, rest in peace, Toby Keith. I don't know, for whatever reason, I, that one hit me today a little bit. They got you? Yeah, it's like, oh, man, just because, you know, I started in the business. I sent out a tweet earlier today. I started doing, con- you know, country music, and that was kind of, you know, look, that was just a means to an end to get me through college. I didn't anticipate I'd be in radio my whole career. Um, and... Uh, and, and so, man, back in the day, like summer of 96, 97, when I'm working in radio and spinning the old country music hits, and it was all Toby Keith. Like, Toby Keith was a big bleeping deal back in the day. Wasn't and, he? He was, he was a 90s phenom? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And people forget, like, because— Because I caught on to him early 2000s. Yeah, because people mid- remember the old, you know, red, white, and blue, put a boot up your butt, you know, that song. But, and, and, and that got him some traction later in his career. But in the mid-90s— you know, get you some. Should have been a cowboy. Those songs. I mean, he was huge. He was. He wasn't Garth, but he wasn't too far off. Is that uh, you want to talk about me? Yep. Is that later yep. or is that in that uh, time? That, I want to say that's late nineties. How about How Do You Like Me Now? Same. Yeah. Okay. So those I love those yeah, songs. They're great songs. Like they're dude. What dude put out some catchy tunes for sure. Some really like I. That is my one of my favorite eras of music is that mid to late nineties country music. I know, I know, I'm old, I get it, but that was some... He kind of had a, a, a Lee Greenwood stunt, like... No, 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 no. He found, he found no. Something, something that worked. Okay, no, yeah, like... Well, late, he did get to the heart of America. Late, That's late, where he went. late in his career, when you're trying to make a comeback, and, right. and you realize your your ship has passed a little bit, so you're trying to make yourself relevant again, then, yeah, he he, he kind of leaned into the whole patriotism stuff, which good, which you was know, awesome. good for you. It was great. Well, he found, uh, he kind of found a re-recognition when the the chicks they call themselves now the they used to be the dixie chicks yeah they when they kind of went against whatever it was and and he wanted to go against them you remember their whole big feud? i'd forgotten all about that honestly yeah there was a big feud yeah. between the two of them and and toby went very patriotic and they went a completely different direction and but he did resurrect himself. Oh yeah, and and he made some great music. And passing away, I believe, stomach cancer. Yes, yeah. And I had no idea he was even uh, suffering from I, it. I didn't either, but I saw him on an interview with I can't remember. I think it might have been twenty twenty or something. And he looked rough, and so losing him at a young age, I would say both him and Carl Weathers have hit me pretty hard because they were both. Pretty big in, yeah. in me growing up and things that I loved in my childhood and kind of later in my childhood. So kind of a rough deal. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know, getting old sucks, man. It, it does suck. It does suck because you know what I'm finding? 
There's things that bug me that would have never bugged me. I'll give you a perfect for instance. I don't know who this guy is. I don't even care who he is. And and typically, I'll just mute something. If I see it on Twitter, I'm like, yeah. I, 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 that is so stupid. I'll mute it. And for some reason, this got under my skin, and I actually responded to it. But this guy, I think he must be a big Timberwolves fan. He said, oh, the biggest reason I want to see the T-Wolves win a championship is for the meltdown from the wing of jazz fans that hate Rudy Gobert. And I responded to that. I was like, there are not jazz fans that hate Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I if there's a jazz fan that hates Rudy Gobert, um, I'd like to hear from you because I don't think you exist. I think that's a unicorn. Now, Donovan Mitchell might be another story. Yeah, there's plenty that hate yeah. Donovan Mitchell. But because, Rudy Gobert, I— Because I, Donovan wanted out. Yeah, Rudy, Rudy did wanted not. To stay. Rudy wanted to stay. Rudy wasn't going anywhere. If Rudy wanted—Rudy wanted to finish his career in Utah. And so, I— I don't think there's a jazz fan out there that has any level of animosity towards Rudy no. Gobert. In fact, if you know if the Jazz winning a championship is out, kind of in order for me, I would like to see Rudy win a championship, and then I'd like to see Quinn Snyder win a championship. Quinn never did anything to me. Quinn was always great to me. Every oh, yeah. time I saw him, he he gave me a nice head nod, a good handshake, and and talked to me for a few minutes. Typically, he would go into something that wasn't you know like a well-known something like yeah. oh yeah you know he's working on it he knew what the relevant stories were and he would say something along the lines of oh yeah he's he's working on that or he's getting better or things are improving there I, I learned a lot about the game through quinn snyder yeah like quinn quinn was a teacher whether you were wanted to be taught or not he was he was going to teach you a little bit about the game well and he was fun you know yeah. i think i did four of the jazz media events where we went and threw on jerseys and we'd go out there with Quinn and, and his assistant staff and we'd run around, we'd play a game and run through drills and, and Quinn was great. Yeah. He was great. Laughed his butt off, would take some shots at me, but then would, you know, would throw something in there that was a, a little bit uplifting and he was great. So I'd love to see him win a championship. He's never going to do it with Atlanta, but no, no, that that's not going to happen anytime. Or at least is currently constituted. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But with Rudy Gobert, the only issue with Rudy was my biggest issue, and this goes back years and years and years ago when I started to realize you're going to commit a certain percent of your cap to a guy that doesn't play the side of the ball that the NBA is giving so much yeah. to, yep, and continues to give to. The NBA is opening up the doors for the offensive side of the ball. And so when I look at drafting or free agent acquisition or trades, I'm saying if you're going to spend your money, spend it where the NBA is giving you leniency. Yeah. Spend it where you're going to get the most out of it. And that's not Rudy Gobert. Nope. I mean, I think jazz fans, you can you can love Rudy Gobert and appreciate everything he did and respect him and cheer for him and also recognize it was the smart thing for the Jazz to do to trade him. Perfectly at, smart. At the same time. Like, both things can absolutely be true. 1,000%. And you don't have to hate the guy. No, absolutely not. No. But see, that's what it is with me getting older. Now I'm like, ah, that's just dumb. Yeah. And I sent a message back to him, and it's caused now a bunch of responses. And I'd say 98% of the responses – 
make some bit of sense. And then there's a couple percent out there. It's like, okay, so you just hate to hate what you are. You're just, you're just a hateful person because there's zero reason to hate him behind closed doors, behind the scenes. Oh man. I, I want so badly to tell Aren't stories. we far enough out that you can at least tell uh, one no, or two? No, no, no. Cause, cause I, I've been told not to. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I, do I told know. you. Yeah, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're great stories. And and I think people would be floored, like if they knew the true generosity of Rudy Gobert. Just be floored. It is incredible what he did for a good chunk of people in Salt Lake City that he wanted no recognition for, that he did not want anybody to tell anybody about. And we all know the fact that he, like, there's a lot of times when. You see these athletes and they say, oh, you know, they ponied, you know, they, they did this or they paid for this. When in reality, what they did was they got a sponsor to come in and pay for it and yeah. they put their name attached to it. Yeah. You know, like, you know, oh, they, this guy took all these kids to Walmart to take them Christmas shopping. Mm. That, that athlete didn't pay a dime for that. Yep. You know, his agent reached out to Walmart or whoever and they arranged something like that. Um, Rudy Gobert, when, when COVID hit and you had all the part-time workers that were – ushers uh that were doing all you know the the um working in the food stuff like that that depended on that money and he donated money to give to them that was truly out of his own pocket there was no corporate matching or anything like that that was truly him ponying up money to give to employees at the at the delta center yeah that was 1000 percent him and then there's other stories that would just that takes that and times it by 20 mm-hmm so I did see some people, they, they didn't use the word hate, but they were disappointed or discouraged by his ability in certain areas. And, and I just want to remind jazz fans, I want to make it really clear with jazz fans out there. Most of the time, out of the five guys that were on the floor wearing a jazz jersey, he was the only guy that was really responsible for the defense. Yeah, everything was funneled to him. Everything was funneled to him. Joe Ingles was doing nothing defensively. People were blowing by him. Donovan Mitchell, as as great as he was and as electric as he was on one side of the ball, he had zero care for the other side of the ball. And he's had to really find that out now as he's left Rudy's comfort and he's had to go on to other things. And, and he's received criticism, and he's now improving defensively. You're seeing improvements by Donovan Mitchell defensively because he has to, because he doesn't have a Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Who, when all is said and done, there is a high likelihood when, when everything shakes out in Rudy's career that he is looked at as one of the top three best defenders in NBA yeah. history. First ballot Hall of Famer. If he's not already there. Yeah. Oh, he is. His resume right now qualifies him as a first ballot Hall of Famer. And so I just shake my head at people. Yeah. And yeah, I, I I had some I had some issues with him because offensively I just wanted to see more. I wanted to see more growth. And you needed more offensive usage to be able to justify what percentage of the salary cap he was gonna control. So I wanted to see more offensive usage and you just don't see yeah. it. But that's fine because he is what he is and, and inside of that Timberwolves locker room. With Carl Anthony Towns, that's a scorer, and Anthony Edwards, that's a scorer, and a Mike Conley, that's a facilitator, and a team that I think is more likely to play full team defense, he's starting to thrive a bit. And I'm really happy for him. 
Yeah, I am too. I hope, I mean, obviously that got off to a rough start last year in Minnesota. And you hope the dynamics in that locker room are certainly a lot better. It sure feels that way. Feels like, and again, from an outsider's perspective, and it, it feels like they're in a better place. It but f- It feels like it's cleaned yeah. up. And, th- and then one other aspect that I wanted to, to point out with Rudy Gobert, because I do think we're further, we're far enough from COVID that I, I, I don't think I'll upset too many people with this take. When he joked around and went to touch the microphones, I was so heartbroken for the heat that that guy was taking. Where we didn't know in, whether Donovan Mitchell felt like he got it from Rudy or anybody else that was in that room felt like they got it from Rudy or Rudy kind of jokingly reaching out and touching mics because he didn't understand the complexities of the situation and what it would ultimately become. It made me so sad, the heat that he took. Yeah. And I think he he felt deep pain and deep remorse and deep regret for an action that he was just in the moment he was thinking we're all fine here this is stupid everybody's okay because, you know honestly we were all thinking the same thing at the yes. time like what are we doing this is ridiculous yes every one of us was thinking oh they, you know this it'll be under containment we're not going to be shutting down this isn't going to be full economic collapse i mean i'll i'll be the first to admit we got a memo uh from our uh you know we were over at the jazz at the time we got this memo it came over an email and you and i were in the middle of a show and we were laughing hysterically reading this about okay this is going to be the at-home measures and it was you know probably late february early march um when we got this and they're like okay be prepared for this and we'll be doing this if this hits and we'll do this and we're like this is ridiculous what are we doing like, like, I can't believe somebody had to take time out of their day to put to, this to put memo this together. together because nothing's going to happen, you know, and this is ridiculous. And then and Rudy's thinking the same thing. He's Absolutely. like, OK, this is stupid. What are we doing here? We all thought it. And yet Rudy was the one who touches some mics. And then all of a sudden he becomes public enemy number one, which a lot of us in that situation would have done the same thing. <sighs> it, that was a really hard thing for all of us because, yeah. you know, I, I did defend it to a certain point and try to paint a perspective as a former athlete like you don't know what you're doing you're just out there trying to have fun and keep it light get a couple of people to smile because things are getting awkward and uncomfortable and he's not out there like i'm gonna spread i'm not a super spreader <laughs> he's not out there trying to hurt you yeah. he wasn't out there trying to hurt that 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 jazz media staff and from what i understand and 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 uh, maybe I I better talk to Ben Anderson before I, I make any statement, because like, I think Ben was in the room. Yeah, Ben was I, there. I don't think anybody held a grudge against him no. for being a goofball in that moment. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to speak for them, but I don't remember anybody holding a grudge for that. You know, we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of that. It's been four years. 2020. No, I can't believe that. That that March 11th. Yep. 2020. 2020. Yep. It will be four years on March 11th. I, uh, Gives me anxiety. Oh, I know. Me too. Thinking about it. Oh, I know. Really I know. Oh, boys. Puts me in a cold sweat real like quick. one of the worst weeks. Like oh, this. boys. And then the and earthquake. The earthquake. I, uh, so I keep, you know, you know, whether it's our morning after podcast and, and all that stuff, I send it to Lloyd via Dropbox uh, when we post it. And all of the podcasts we do, I still have a, on, on a, I keep it on a, on a Dropbox link. And, uh. The other, I don't know, it was a few months ago. I'm going through and trying to organize and clean out the Dropbox, and 
and I have those podcasts we did when we weren't allowed to go into studio because of the Rudy Gobert situation and the jazz situation, they wouldn't let us in the studio. And so we were off the air essentially for a day or two while John Kimball had to clean out the, the arena. And he was the president of the arena at the time now running Ray Salt Lake. And so we were putting out podcasts saying like, hey, we're sorry, we're not on the air, but this is what's going on. We don't have a choice. They're keeping us away from the building. And just listening to that just made me want to just crawl you into the fetal. I listened oh, back to did. it. And I just wanted to like crawl in the fetal position and be like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to even think about that yeah. time again. Yeah, we fought through. On air was a wild, wild thing. Oh, jeez. And people need to understand how fickle this occupation really is. Yeah. Now, Scotty and I were trying to deem ourselves um, essential employees. (laughs) 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 Because we were trying to be in studio together every day. Scotty and I decided we're going to do this. We were the only show that... We're in studio together at the same time. Everybody else had one guy at home and one guy yep. in the studio. We're like, no, no. we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Yeah. Because we kind of needed to lean on each other at that point. Uh, I, I think we kind of drew from each other to try to find strength. And Lloyd. Yeah. The three of us just kind of lean on each other as much as we could because our show went from three hours to four hours. Yes. And, and our content way, went from some, plenty to none. Giving us some sort of normalcy during that time. Of doing the show was, I thought, I thought it was so important. Yeah, yeah. Even for, though nothing felt, even though no, there wasn't anything that felt normal. Yeah, I wanted people that were the essentials or were at home. You know, if they tuned hey, in, we're here with you. You, you know, yeah. because there is something that is really ominous, that is really scary when local radio that you're used to is now gone. Yes. Yep. The voices that you hear are gone because you're like, wait a second, how bad is this getting? Yeah. Oh yeah. You're so Hans and Scotty aren't even on air? What is, what, how deep is this getting? And so we, we did. We tried to really push through. Not that we're heroes by any stretch. No, no, but no, it was no, like, no. Man, and by it the meant way, a lot to us. And by the way, I'm not saying that, and, I, and I'm not painting any other hosts as like taking the easy way out because a lot of these guys were like um, told, like we had to fight yeah. to be able to do it. It's yeah. not like we had hosts oh, that no, were like, did not want to go. No. This is not one guy's going to be at yeah. home and we're like, and we fought like crazy to be able to do it. So that for me with Rudy Gobert, I, I'm telling you right now, Scotty, if the jazz can't win it, which we know that they're not poised right now. No. Give me a Minnesota Timberwolves championship. Give it to me this year. No. I'd love to see it. I'm down for sure. Out of any other team, it'd be Rudy Gobert in Minnesota. And you could say, all right, I'm glad that worked out for Minnesota. Now, let's let that trade work out for the Utah Jazz eventually. Yeah. Because that was the reason for the trade. Minnesota needed a quick fix. Utah Jazz needed a rebuild. And I'm hoping that it can work out that way for both. Hands on Scotty. Alex Whittingham joins us next. This is 97.5, the EKSL Sports Zone. This is this is DJ and PK. Jason Cole, senior writer from 33rdteam.com. How much do you get caught up in legacy? Legacy does mean a lot. You start to talk about what differentiates guys, why guys go in the Hall of Fame. This is the reason. This is why you say, okay, where does Andy Reid start to rank among the all-time coaches? Does right. he go from somewhere in the top 10 to does he start to sneak up into the top five? Patrick Mahomes, are we talking about he's in the top 10 or does he start sneaking up there with guys like 
Brady and Montana and you know Manning and all those guys. Mahomes just based on what he's done so far is probably a Hall of Famer. Reed is a Hall of Famer. But now we're talking about a different level of it. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Looking for the latest on the Jazz, Utes, Cougars, and Aggies? Yeah. We've got you covered. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5, the Sports Zone. Hans and Scotty, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Alex Whittingham's going to join us coming up here in just a moment. But before we do that, let's give away some jazz tickets. It's a Jazz Ticket Tuesday, and your chance to win jazz tickets is right now. Be caller number 12 at 801-575-ZONE, and you'll win tickets to see your Utah Jazz at the Delta Center. Presented by UCCU. Love where you bag. Caller number 12 right now, 801-575-ZONE. You win a pair of tickets. How about this? See the Jazz and the Golden State Warriors Delta Center coming up on February 12th. You want to see Steph and the crew? Now's the time. Caller 12, 801-575-ZONE. All right. Media Day continues on at the Super Bowl. And joining us now, his, I believe, sixth season with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Alex Whittingham, kind enough to join us. Alex, how are you? Hey, Alex. I'm doing great, you guys. How are you guys doing? Good. Good man. This is old hat for you. Voice. This is what you just do. You you guys just go to Super Bowls. This <laughs> is is it hard not to take it for granted? And and because this is an unreal run you guys are on. No, it has been crazy. Um, it, it's a huge blessing to be able to be making this trip. I mean, even once, but to do it. Gosh, this is the the fourth time um, I've been able to do this in, in my six years and. It's hard because, you know, I'm just getting started, and so I don't really have, like, the perspective of some of the older coaches. So I'm trying to appreciate it for what it is and know that it's, you know, it's probably not always going to be like this, but I'm just, you know, enjoying it while I can and, and trying to make the most of it. It's been a great run. So, Alex, are you able to point out to Coach Reed that – that he's made it to four Super Bowls since he hired you. Like, is that? Are you able to like at least say, "Hey, Coach, I, I, I think this might be beyond a coincidence because you you have done some great things for him, and here you are on your trip to the fourth Super Bowl. Is there some recognition of that, Alex? Yeah, no, I think you could say that there's been no other factor besides me that's gotten us to this point. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Uh, no, it's, it's been great, and, and the timing of it all has just been – it's it's crazy how, it, how you know, Patrick's first year uh, was my – his first year starting was my first being, being here. And, uh, no, it's just been good timing, and it's been fun learning all the time and, and uh, kind of growing as a coach, as a person out here. Um, in being able to have all the success at the same time, it's been, you know, the best of both worlds, being able to learn and grow while also having these, you know, Super Bowl runs. It's been great. You know, there was a moment in the season where I think a lot of people looked at the Chiefs and said, okay, well, you know, they had their run, but they're coming back down to earth a little bit. And then you guys respond. You end the season strong. Obviously, for the first time, you have to go on the road to win playoff games, and you get that done. Uh, Does this mean a little bit – does this have a – I don't know. Does it feel a bit different? Does it feel a bit more special being in this Super Bowl, considering some of the adversity you guys had to face this year? It definitely does. I, I think it really does. And 
you know, it, it is nice those first couple of years. We've had the one and two seeds. We've had those first-round buys and everything. It's made the road a little bit easier. Um, but this season has just been such a – it's been a learning experience. You know, people did count us out earlier. We we were struggling and uh, dropped some regular season games. But the guys, they just – gosh, they, they stayed so persistent. And Coach Reed did a great job of leading them and not letting anyone get too down or too high. And, uh, you know, being able to go on the road these – this playoffs, you know, we went to uh, Buffalo and went to Baltimore and, and played all these great quarterbacks. I think, you know, it's a tough road on paper, but being able to do that and beat those guys in those places, I think it's helped mold us and build us into a better team to get into this game, you know. Is it a bit of deja vu going back to that 2020 Super Bowl, you guys versus San Francisco? I know it was in Miami, does but does – are there some feelings of it being similar or, or anything related to that back, you know, three years, four, four seasons ago? Yeah, no, there, there's definitely some carryover. You know, they, they got Shanahan calling plays uh, over there still. Um, they've had a few coaching changes, a few personnel changes, but they have a lot of the same core. You know, they got Kittle. They had Kittle back then. They had a young Debo back then. Uh, the fullback, what they didn't have was McCaffrey, and he's added a whole – whole different wrinkle to their offense so that's definitely been a new thing to adjust to but uh no there's definitely similarities because we played them uh those couple years ago but they've evolved as a team obviously and and so have we how difficult is it to prepare for a team like that because obviously so many so many pre-snap motions uh shifts i mean shanahan's always out there trying to find mismatches is this as difficult of a team to prepare for as any you've seen it is difficult. You know, they, they present so many different looks and and they have, you know, pretty much a positionless offense. They got their fullback split out wide, they receiver, they put Debo in the backfield. They they give you so many different looks that you got to go through all your calls and, and make sure, okay, when they give us list look, do we have the right check that we want to that? And, and they shift in motion so much. And uh, I think one of the benefits, you know, we played Miami in the wild card round and they're kind of a like a mad scientist version of this same offense because McDaniel came from the Shanahan system. So we, we've had experience uh, facing this kind of, you know, unique presentation. But, uh, no, they, they definitely give, you know, a lot to talk about in those staff meetings to get things right. You know, Alex, I, I know they've got you listed as the defensive quality control coach, and I just remember being in the NFL, and you see all these different coaches and the, the roles that they play and the importance of each role. Uh, help people understand what, what are some of your main responsibilities being with the Kansas City Chiefs as the defensive quality control coach? Yeah, um, quality control coach is not really something that people would know what that guy does on paper. Um, it's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, um, a lot of film breakdowns. Every team we play, you know, we look at a certain number of games and we kind of categorize all their plays by, by formation, by personnel, run concept, all these different things. And my role is that is, is to kind of define everything that an offense does so that when we get to that game week where we're playing someone, uh, our position coaches and coordinator can digest it a little easier. Um, aside from that, you know, I, I work with the linebackers specifically. Um, and so really just helping our linebacker coach with drills and, and getting his presentations and his practices and his individual uh, ready and, and getting doing what we want 
to do there. Um, pretty much whatever. <laughs> it, it changes all the time a little bit, too. There's unique tasks that come up here and there, so just kind of always being ready for whatever we need to get the guys ready for the game. What's it like working for Steve Spagnola? Because it felt like, especially in that game against Baltimore, he put on a master class, and your entire staff did in terms of how to handle that Baltimore offense and one of the more dynamic players in in, in uh, Lamar. Uh, I just thought he did a tremendous job, and you guys as a staff did a tremendous job. But what are, what are you gleaning from him? What are you learning from him as a defensive coordinator? Um, it, it's been awesome to work for Coach Spags. He is so detailed and thorough and, and creative in all the things that he does, you know. Um, and then you get to those Wednesday night meetings when we're putting together our third down packages and, and pressure packages. And so, some of the stuff that he comes up with is just is fascinating, you know, and, and it always, not, you know, gets into the game and, and is effective for what we're trying to do. And and uh, he, he's a great leader. He, he keeps things organized and um, – He's been a great guy to learn from, you know, having him and coach Reed and coach Nagy on the offense, like those, those, that those leaders right there, uh, it's been great to learn from. Um, They set a great example in a lot of different ways um, with their creativity and and their leadership skills and it's a blessing. It's it's good to learn from them. Is Andy Reed ultra competitive like Kyle Whittingham? Does he have that never lose always on the edge, very intense mentality behind the scenes? Yes, yes. To answer your question, yes, he's a very competitive guy. He might not be as, you know, loud and outspoken as other coaches. He's a little more mild-mannered, and he kind of keeps it down uh, at a low level. But when he needs to bring it and and get the guys fired up, he definitely does that. Um, But he does such a great job of, you know, staying even – throughout the whole year because there's so many ups and downs in an NFL season. Uh, he, he does a great job of setting an example of not being too high, being too low. But, no, he, he's definitely a fiery competitor, and uh, he uh, does a great job leading us. Alex, is it as difficult as it seems like it would be to ignore all the distractions? Because, you know, we, we see him on a daily basis with Taylor Swift and – and Patrick's situation and everything that could be a distraction. Is it hard to avoid and get away from those distractions and focus on football? You know, it it does take effort to put things aside, but I think the guys on the team, and and again, starting with the head coach and, and the standard that he sets, the guys do a good job of, you know, there is a lot going on outside of this, and especially you get the Super Bowl week, it's a it's a circus, you know, with everything that's going on. But we, we make a very concentrated effort to, you know, keep those things outside the building. And uh, obviously they've done a pretty good job. I think our, our play has shown that the guys are focused, and when it's time to get down to do what we need to do, they do, they do a good job of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. You you mentioned uh, Miami and what they do offensively, and and Shanahan and at San Francisco. Even in just your six years and your five years as being a you know quality uh, control guy on the defense, how much is the game evolving? Because it really feels like uh, in just a short amount of time, the evolution of offensive football in the NFL and football just overall at every level seems like it's it's changing and changing pretty dramatically. No, it's fun to watch. It, it, it really is. And uh, I'm in my sixth year, so 
I'm starting to get a better understanding of kind of different coaches, offensive coaches' personalities and how that shows up into the plays they call. Um, And I, I, you know, as the film breakdown guy, I get the opportunity to look at thousands of plays throughout the year. And I see what, you know, kind of themes and trends that go from team to team. And you can kind of see, you know, what San Francisco does kind of gets carried on to Miami because, you know, same coaching trees. And it's interesting, you know, just – it's a copycat league, you know, as they say, and that really is true how one concept will work for a team one week and then the next week you see it in another game. Um, for us, that you know, as a defense, that's something you always got to be got to be ready for because, you know, we've gotten beat by certain run concepts or certain routes, and that's something that we got to work on because you can pretty much bank on another team bringing that out against you, you know, down the road. So, Always being aware of teams copying each other is something that you got to, you know, practice for and be prepared for. I guess the question would typically be how often do you call your dad or Uncle Freddie and ask him for advice? But I think it's almost flip flopped. I mean, you're with the Kansas City Chiefs, multiple Super Bowls. How often do they call you and say, hey, what what are you guys doing over there? How's how's that working? (laughs) Uh, no, I think, uh, it is fun talking ball with those guys. And, and as I've learned more and more, there's more stuff that we can talk about. Um, but no, it, it the, the pecking order is still definitely, you know, the old guys are <laughs> above and, and they keep me informed on what's going on. Um, but no, it, it is fun being able to talk to dad about all that stuff. And, you know, 90% of the time we're talking about other things, how the families are doing and everything, but it is, you know, fun to call and say, hey, you know, you've been a defense coordinator. What would you call here and, and, and stuff like that and kind of get get his opinion on things. And it's always interesting to hear that. By the way, your Uncle Freddie, probably the most underrated coach in the state, one of the most underrated college coaches in the country with what he's doing with tight ends. And, you know, he's and he's great with recruiting, too. Um he is, he's got to be a real help for you just as far as family and coaching goes. Absolutely. You're right. Freddie is underrated, and, and he's had those tight ends playing at a high level for several years now. Um, so, like, I've been lucky to have such great examples, you know, with my own family of, of guys that are doing things the right way. And then you got Uncle Kerry down at Timview who's had so much success over the years. You know, there's – there's a high standard that's been set in this family for coaching. And, yeah, no and uh, something I'm striving to do is, you know, even come close to living up to that. But, no, it, it's good. And, I mean, there is all the football aspect of the family. But, you know, my best times with those guys are when we get to go play tennis against each other and, and, and just hang out and, and do stuff like that, too. So you try to get best of, of both worlds, the family stuff and the, and the football stuff. So when you hear, uh, you know, whether it's Kyle or, or Freddie or whoever telling you about, like, you know, we got this NIL, we're dealing with this, or the collective, and we got to re-recruit because a kid could leave at any given moment and all the stuff, that, all the craziness going on in college, you're like, yeah, and I'm sure you're putting in 90, 100-hour weeks putting film together and stuff like that, but you're probably like, you know what? We draft a guy, we sign him to a contract, he's stuck here for a while. I kind of like where I'm at right now. I don't know if I want to deal with all that nonsense down at that level. Uh, I'll be honest. It does sound like a nightmare. It it is an absolute nightmare what is going on in college right now. And and you hope that someday they get to some sort of system and and get it organized somehow. But I I can't even fathom having to – how do you manage a roster, you know, with with these guys that are on essentially one-year deals every year and then become free agents all the time? 
it's just seems like a headache to be able to keep track of that. And then there is some, you know, I, I mean, I love college. That's when I first got into this business, I, I wanted to follow dad's footsteps and be a college coach and, and things just ended up working out the way they did. But, um, no, there's, there's definitely, um, some good, some bad at all levels, but I'm, I'm happy and blessed to be where I'm at. Well, the state of Utah is proud of you, Alex. Way to represent that Whittingham name. Way to represent the state of Utah in another Super Bowl appearance. And keep going, man. I, I, I hope someday you'll rethink that and you will come back to college, come back to the state of Utah and, and make your, your name and, and your presence known because uh, we could always use good coaching here in the state. I appreciate you guys. It's always good to talk to you, and it's our it's our annual conversation. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> hopefully we can keep it going for, and, for the next and eight years. Yeah, yeah let, let's do that. Let's do that. Awesome. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Alex. Good luck. Good luck, Alex. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. There he is, Alex Whittingham, right here on ninety-seven-five, the KSL Sports Zone. And you're right, his timing with the Chiefs kind of lined up with oh. this run that they're on. Could you imagine? Uh, no, he's gonna. He's not gonna have any idea what actual NFL coaching is about because he showed up in 2018 six years it's his fourth Super Bowl <laughs> that's what I'm like he's like well this is just what we do no, that's not what anybody no. does nope ever nope that's why I, I kind of reversed it I was like how often <laughs> does, does Papa Kyle call and say hey uh man you guys really shut down Lamar that was impressive. Yeah. Uh, because so the 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 quality control coaches, he's the defensive quality control coach. He really undersold what he does. And and you nailed it with his hours. Um probably oh, 80, yeah. 80, 90. Yeah, I minutes. can't imagine the workload he's putting in. And what happens on, on a game day as an NFL player, and I can't even imagine a Super Bowl, but usually the night before the game, you get a spreadsheet. And this spreadsheet or this notebook is full of every formation. And then it's full of down and distances. And then it's full of percentages. If you're on the right hash, you're on the 45, they show up on the 12 personnel with McCaffrey in the backfield and Kittle at the line of scrimmage then you are expecting 48%. You are expecting something, you know, draw off right side, or you're expecting outlet left side, or you're expecting screen at a a 48 or 52% clip. And that quality control coach is responsible for grabbing all that intel, putting it into those percentages. So before you even break the huddle, You see San Francisco's offensive personnel. You know the down the distance. You know the, the field position. And you're looking at your coach, and your coach is over to the sideline, and he's drawing a screen because he knows your highest percentage chance is a screen at this point. But also be aware of 30% draw, 24% blast to the, to the weak side. That's how crazy, intricate, and detailed people think that calls just come in and well yeah it's a third down so it's probably going to be a pass well that's not the tendencies of lamar jackson no that's not the tendencies of a lot of these teams so you don't play the same on every down you don't play the same on every down at whatever field position you are 
And when it comes to the league and billions and billions of dollars, everything down to the the percentage is is drawn up. And these quality control coaches are responsible for the bulk of that. Hands and Scotty, what you may have missed coming up next right here on The Zone. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present? This is JJ and Alex. Keep in mind that the Jazz have a a long view here. Yeah. Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, Ryan Smith, they all have a long view here of trying to win a championship. And so they'll make trades and they'll do things that they believe helped them get there. And you have to throw sentiment out of the window. You can't fall in love with guys. This is a business, and you have to make business decisions. And Danny Ainge has a long career of doing that, being able to separate the business part of it from the personal part of it. And Colin Sexton is a guy that could be moved on Thursday based on what I've seen with him playing that the Jazz would want to keep him, but you never know what's out there. And he is his trade value probably has never been higher if he is indeed on the trade block. Catch JJ and Alex afternoons from 3 to 6. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Number one. Miss any part of the show? Every moment of every show is available in podcast form by searching Hanson Scotty on your favorite podcasting platform or online at kslsports.com. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Hands and Scotty, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Dang. Can't believe he's gone. I know, right? Bums me out. Rest in peace, big fella. 62, was it? Yeah, 61, 62, somewhere in there. He's still so young, man. Should have learned to rope and ride. If you could have his money, his fame, and his career, would you take it? Oh, and be done at 62? No, and you'd be done at 62. Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a tough one. 15 years from now, essentially. Yeah. You got 14, 15 15, 15. Gosh, my math is so bad. 14 or 15. Yeah. See, and I thought it's like he had like 20 more. He had like 20? I wish. I just looked at some pictures of him. And it looks like he did suffer. I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. That's the like thing. That. I don't want to go like that. People that have to suffer. Yeah. For a certain amount of time. That's in, the thing. It's one thing to, to be done at life. sixty-two, but the other thing to have like five years leading up to it, where you're just miserable. Where you get diagnosed, and they say yeah. hey, you got three years, and then you know it's coming, and uh, chemo and all that other stuff you got to deal with. To all those people out there that are dealing with that in this moment. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we, we love you. And yeah. We, we definitely feel for you. A couple things in what you may have missed. BYU basketball facing Oklahoma coming up tonight. Oklahoma 16 and 6. They did fall out of the top 25, but uh, 16 and 6, they're 4 and 5 at Big 12 play. It, it, it's just lately they've hit a wall. Oklahoma has lost five of their last eight games. Yeah. They are falling quickly. But BYU's got a big one tonight. Hey, Richard Jefferson, button up your shirt. What I do know, you do? What? It's. <laughs> I understand two or I, even three. He's got four. You could almost see his belly button. That's how Lloyd took his uh, pictures. pictures today. <laughs> is, is Lloyd, that, you got that on in there, ESPN in there. 
Look how far Richard Jefferson's got his shirt unbuttoned. You can almost see his navel. Brian Windhorse is going to start doing the same thing. <laughs> if I was Brian, I'd do it just oh, to make just him uncomfortable. Fun, yeah. Just separate that. But um, Dallin Hall playing really well right now for BYU. Had 12 assists against West Virginia. It was fantastic. Only 11th player in college basketball this season to dish out 12 assists and have only one turnover in a game. So you just don't see it very often. He was great. Uh, Utah State taking on Nevada. Nevada, big one tonight up in Logan. Nevada's loaded in there. Yeah, playing some really good basketball. And the funny thing is, like, there's you know you've got San Diego State, Utah State, Boise State, New Mexico. Those are kind of your top four right now in the conference. And then Nevada's lost three out of their last five. But Nevada's got a guard line that's as good as anybody, frankly, in the country. And so if if Utah State fans are out there thinking like, oh, this will be an easy. No, 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 no. This is a really good team coming into Logan. And then they got Boise State coming up on Saturday. So if Utah State can go 2-0 and in this stretch this week, mm-hmm. then they've probably punched their ticket as an at-large team. But it can get away. That, I mean, that's the way this Mountain West is. It can get away from you in a hurry. So it could go either way for sure. So we'll have that game for you tonight here on The Zone. Of course, the BYU game is going to be absolutely huge as well. well after that San Diego State situation, what, how important is it that they get this win? Uh, uh, huge. Absolutely they, huge. Just to, that San Diego State win would have given them a little bit of cushion. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously that did not go their way. Uh, but every the one thing about this conference is everybody's a lead at home. Mm-hmm. Everybody's winning home games. It's about who can go on the road and pick up some big key road victories. Utah plays Arizona on Thursday. A little team that nobody really knows yeah, about. Yeah, I don't know much about them. Struggling throughout yeah. the whole year. <laughs> Utah, Utah's got to be shaking their head like, oh, what are we doing? When is this ever going to end? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a really good game. All right, David Locke, the voice of the Utah Jazz, will join us next right here on The Zone. Remember, tomorrow is a Wednesday, so don't miss your chance to win big on The Zone on a win ticket Wednesday where you can win a pair of tickets to go see Train and REO Speedwagon at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on August 29th. Listen to The Zone again all day. It's coming up tomorrow for your chance to win. It's all right here on 97.5 VKSL Sports Zone.